0: chapter one Daniel chapter one always fun to start a new book and I wanted to get back into Daniel if you've been coming out um, I've been doing the Wednesdays out here now for uh, about 15 years and it's hard to believe but it's been nine years since we've gone through the book of Daniel nine years So, so Daniel is a good book to hit once a decade so We're in our once-a-decade hit on Daniel here. I love the book of Daniel. I don't know if there's another book in the Bible that is as varied as the book of Daniel. It has prophecy. It has narrative. It has action. It has romance. It has everything you want. It actually doesn't have romance, but it has nearly anything you want in a book of the Bible. It is 12 chapters wrong, and basically the split is pretty even. Six chapters is narrative. Six chapters are prophecy. So if you're the type of person that says, I don't really get into the prophecy, Don't worry, there's chapters in here that have no prophecy in it in any way whatsoever. If you're the type of person that says, I really like that meat to chew on prophecy stuff, then hey, you got some great chapters here in the book of Daniel. Daniel is one of those amazing characters. Daniel is given such an element of respect in the eyes of God. And if I remember correctly, it's in the book of Jeremiah, where God comes out and says, even if Daniel was there, I would still judge. So God, when he lists his little favorites, Daniel is towards the top. Daniel's an amazing man of God, and this book is so impressive in its scope of narrative and prophecy, it leads liberal scholars to the point of saying it can't be true. I remember when I was going to college, and I went to Defiance College, and one of the requirements with Defiance being a quote-unquote Christian college was you had to take one Bible class. And so we took a uh, Bible class, and I, I think it was like Hebrew Old Testament or something, I can't remember. But... Once again, Defiance College, that is a quote-unquote Christian college, taught this book of Daniel, and they said Daniel was so amazing prophetically it had to be written after everything happened which I just find fascinating. That's how impressive the book of Daniel is prophetically, that when you read through this stuff, it's amazing. Daniel is part of different kingdoms, be it the Babylonians and the Medes and Persians, and there's even some accounts that it goes all the way into Alexander the Great. So it's a fascinating study here. You will be amazed by this. I hope you'll be blessed by it. It's been nine years since we've got into it. So without much further ado, let's just jump right into the book of Daniel here, chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jeconahim, king, excuse me, Jehochium, king of Judah Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it and the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his god and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his god now real quick we have to set the background for this and i try to make it as simple as possible i know some of you don't like history some of you do but just look at the top of your sheets right there this is what we're talking about King Jehoiakim, Second Kings chapter 24 and 606 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar, is head of Babylon, comes and besieges, comes and besieges um, uh, Jerusalem. Here, the city is captured, and as the city is captured, Daniel is now taken to Babylon. So this happens the first time. The first time that Jerusalem is besieged here by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what happens, and this is just a little bit of extra detail here in 2 Kings 24, what happens is Jehoiakim is taken out of rulership. His son Jehokien is put in, in rulership. Well, what happens is he rebels again. Nebuchadnezzar comes, defeats Babylon one more time, takes more captives away. Then one more king is put in place, King Zedekiah. Well, he rebels again. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar says enough is enough. He comes to Jerusalem in 586 B.C., totally destroys Jerusalem, and Israel ceases to exist as a nation. Which is a really neat side note because Israel ceased to exist as a nation in 586 B.C., but in 1948 it came back again. Now stop and think about that for a second. Nowhere in the chronicles of history has a nation ceased to exist for about 2,500 years years and come back that's a god thing now that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day but you see the amazingness of this and this is all a god thing long story short what happened was is the lord had told the nation of israel they need to take something called a sabbath's year every seventh year, they take the year off, which I think is an amazing concept. Every seventh year, you just get to take the year off. Don't worry about farming. Don't worry about crops. Don't worry about anything. It's a faith thing. Trust that the Lord is going to provide this for you. And so then every seventh year you take the year off, God provides for you and you get a whole year to chill out. Great. There's not one recorded instance in the Bible of Israel doing this. You know how big of a faith thing that is? I mean, can you imagine going to your spouse tomorrow and saying, hey, I'm calling this a Sabbath year. I'm not going to work for an entire year, and we're just going to trust in faith that God will provide, meet our bills, meet our needs. It's a huge faith thing. Israel didn't do it. 490 years passed, so God came and said, you know what? You owe me Seventy years. Seventy years you need to take a break from the land. So what happens is, and this is all in the Bible here, God takes Babylon, uses it as an instrument of uh, destruction, an instrument of judgment on Israel, takes Israel away for 70 years. Then after 70 years, guess what happens? They get to go back. That's Ezra, Nehemiah, where they go back and rebuild the temple and the wall. So this is the background to this. 2 Kings 24, if you want more detail on this. And what happens is you see what they did. These kings were rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar finally says enough is enough, destroys Israel. Israel ceases to exist as a nation. They go into captivity for 70 years, which is the book of Lamentations, the book of Jeremiah, the book of Daniel. After 70 years, they get to go back which is the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra. So this is quite the element of history here that's going on. So this is our background into what's happening here in verses 1 and 2. Well, we can see what happens is Daniel is one of the guys that's taken captive. We see that. Verse 3, Then the king instructed Aspenas, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Young men whom there were no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans is another way to say Babylonians. Verse 5, And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. And from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azriar, Abednego. And that's what we know them by, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we know them by Daniel. Now I've always liked verse 4. I think this is a perfect description of me. Young men in whom there was no blemish, good looking, gifted in all wisdom. I like that verse. What they did is they picked the cream of the crop. So what is happening here is they're coming into Israel. They've defeated it. Now they don't want anybody real old. Did you know what happens when you're real old? You're already trained. You're already distinguished in what you believe and what you think. So if they get somebody too old, they're going to constantly rebel. Well, they don't want some little punk kid either because they don't want some kid they have to take care of. Most commentators believe that Daniel was probably only roughly between 14 to 17 years old. Old enough to be past the point of puberty and going into maturity, but not too old that he would be a problem. So they go and pick the cream of the crop of Israel, and they bring them into Babylon, and they basically, the goal is what? total indoctrination of everything absolutely everything you will walk like a babylonian you will think like a babylonian you will talk like a babylonian you will act like a babylonian that was the total goal of this now think about this for a second here's a young man 14 15 16 maybe 17 years old completely taken away from his family his language his religion his heritage his nation his country he's thrown into this And if you want to get into a word study here a little bit, it's kind of hinted here in chapter 1. Some translations come right out and say it. A lot of people believe they took away their sexuality too and they made them eunuchs. Because the last thing you want is a, a Jewish guy reproducing more Jewish guys. So it's quite possible, that's why we never hear anything about Daniel maybe getting married, is they take away their sexuality too. This guy was literally stripped of everything. And it's symbolic that they changed their names. And then you know, names are always important to me. That's why I put it here in your sheets. You can see the original names of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azar. Good Jewish names. God is my judge. God is favored. Who is what God is? Jehovah has helped. Now look at their Babylonian names. Belshazzar. Lord of the Straightened treasure. The only thing they cared about was money. Shadrach, royal, the great scribe. That was his job. Meshach, Guest of a king. Now, I find that name so ironic. You're a captive. You're a slave. But now your name means guest of the king. And lastly, Abednego, servant of Nebo. And if you're wondering who Nebo was, Nebo was the Babylonian god of wisdom and literature. These guys were stripped of everything. I cannot stress this to you enough. Their family, their heritage, their language, who they were as a man, as a boy, it's all completely gone. Maybe even to the point of 20 years down the road, You wouldn't even realize they were Jewish. Remember when Joseph was sold as a slave into the Egyptians? He became, act, walked, talked like an Egyptian. But what happened is when his brothers came, they didn't even recognize him. So there's quite possible that that's what was going on here. These guys are going to be so indoctrinated into the culture of the Babylonians. But if you flip your sheets over, this is why Daniel is different. He lost his language, he lost his family, he lost his heritage, but he didn't lose God. Look at verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That's why this book is so amazing. It's because through numerous kings of the Babylonians, through numerous kings of the Medes and Persians, Daniel never lost his relationship with God. Now we all know from our Sunday school days, Daniel in the lion's den. Well, why was Daniel thrown into the lion's den? Because he never compromised. Never once. Why were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace? Because they never compromised. That's what I love about this book. This book is such a relatable book because you are constantly put in a constant circumstance where you're asked to compromise. Your kids are constantly asked to compromise. And what we have here in Daniel... And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are four young men that were put in those very difficult circumstances and they never once compromised. It's encouraging to us as parents to know that we can raise godly people in a godless world. And it's also encouraging to us as adults to say, you know what, those things that I face that are difficult in life, I can say no to. Because why, verse 8, I can purpose in my heart to not defile myself. Look at the passage we put down here too with James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble. But look at this last phrase. To keep oneself unspotted from the world. That, that's the goal, is that the world doesn't dirty you up. You're staying pure in an impure world, and that's exactly what Daniel did. Now let's take a break here for a second before we get to the second half of this chapter. And got any quick questions, comments on the historical context here of Daniel or the introduction to who he was and what he went through to get to this point of being with the Babylonians? Yeah, John. Yeah. And that is such a simple statement but so powerful, how important it is to train them up in fear and admonition of the Lord from such a young age to to have them be strong enough to face these things. Once again, obviously, we don't get to go into a lot of detail of Daniel's upbringing. He must have been raised in a pretty godly home. To, To be able to stand this strong, to be possibly a teenager, and we're going to get to it in a little bit here, for him to make the stand that he made, pretty big thing. Anybody else have anything? Brian. And I'm glad you said that because I think sometimes what happens is when it comes to biblical history, we just tune out. It's important to know, okay, Egypt's the world power. God uses Egypt to do bad things and to judge people. Well, then what happens is the Assyrians become the world power. Then the Babylonians become the world power. Then the Medes and the Persians and then Alexander the Great and we can go down to the Romans. But through all this, guess what happens? Jerusalem's still there. The Jews are still there. You know what? Egypt is not a world power. The Assyrians are not. The Babylonians are not. The Greeks are not. The Medes and the Persians are not. And Rome's not. But there still is this little nation of Israel that is still existing and God is still blessing it. And this has been going on for thousands of years. That's the one thing that I would always like to know for somebody who is a staunch atheist. Just explain how can Israel still exist. There has to be something divine going on here. That this little nation that is completely surrounded by people that want to utterly destroy it. Still exists as God's hand is still on the nation of Israel. So... And I'm not going to get on my Israel soapbox, but I really, really want to. But I'm not. God's hand is still on it. And even through this, there's people like Daniel that's part of a remnant that stays strong to the faith. What an encouraging thing that is. Anybody else have anything you want to say here before we move on? Okay. What was the stance that Daniel made? Let's see what happens here. Verse 8 Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, real quick, you may stop and think here what's the big deal? He's part of the inner group. Get the good food, get the good drink, enjoy it. Well, Paul came out and said in the epistles there, I believe it was in Corinthians, he basically said, don't even ask what type of food you're given. Just eat it, enjoy it. Well, what happened here is in Babylonian culture, these feasts were wide openly just an honor and tribute to their false gods. So by Daniel partaking of these feasts, he is partaking in basically, if you will, worship of these false Babylonian gods. Daniel says, I can't do that. Verse 9, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So basically what this chief of the eunuch is saying is, listen, you guys aren't eating, you're not drinking, you're going to look pale, you're going to look sickly, and it's going to come back on me. Verse 11, so Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance to be examined before you in the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacy as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, parents, if you want to use that verse with your kids, that... I don't care. Go ahead. That's a biblical concept. It's probably my least favorite passage in the whole Bible. But it's in there. What it is is not so much the food per se... It's the honoring of the Lord. Daniel is taking a stand here and saying, I'm not going to do this. I cannot stress to you enough, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Listen, as born-again believers in the Lord, you have to reach a point where you purpose in your heart that I'm not going to. I'm not going to look at junk I shouldn't look at. I'm not going to listen to things I shouldn't listen to. I'm not going to engage in gossip. I'm not going to look at people walking by that I find attractive. I'm not going to go down that path. Here's the problem. If you do not purpose in your heart that that is important to you, you're going to be open to anything and everything. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. We're all born with a sinful nature, and that sinful nature wants to do things that aren't right. Now, I don't want to make this lesson turn into some types of works-based lesson of just go out and and flog yourself until you're obeying God. That's not the point. The point is in verse 8, Daniel in his heart said, I want to serve God. Now, we don't know for sure, but we're pretty sure Daniel's a teenage boy saying this. There's a lot of wisdom in here. There's a, there's a lot of devotion to God. and and I, and I pray that we would have more Daniels that are willing to put their foot down And say, I'm purposing in my heart that I'm not going to do this. So I I don't know what you're struggling with right now. I don't know what's on your life right now, but I bet there's things in your life that have a tendency to drag you down and pull you down. Let me ask you this. Can you be a Daniel and purpose in your heart that you're not going to do those things anymore? Not through your strength, not through your power. That's of course not. Through the power and strength that God gives you. To say, I don't want to go down that path anymore. That's what Daniel did. He took a stand and you see what happened. Verse 17, and as for these four young men... God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king interviewed them, and among them all none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. and In all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Thus Daniel continued in the first year of King Cyrus. What a fascinating study that is. Parents, if you've got kids, train them up to be a Daniel. Adults, let's purpose in our heart to not allow those things to bring us down. God's hand of favor was upon Daniel. Daniel. Look at all these verses real quick. Verse 9, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Verse 17, God gave them knowledge and skill. Verse 19 and 20, they're before the king, and they're found the best of the best. God put them there for a reason and purpose. Now, here's the thing, though, I find interesting. God's hand is upon Daniel. What an amazing thing this is. But don't forget one thing. What is Daniel still? slave. He's a conquered kid in a foreign country. Now, if we were making a Hollywood version of Daniel... He would have gotten in right here at about the end of chapter 1. He'd be in good favor with the king. And you know what Hollywood would do? Daniel would jump up, kill the king, run off, and take over the kingdom or something like that. That's what we would want to see happen. What does Daniel do? Oh, for about the next five, six decades, he serves. Wow. See, this is the thing that I sometimes think we forget. Just because you're not happy with the situation you're in life doesn't mean you're in the wrong spot. Sometimes God allows us to be put into situations that we normally would not want. Do you think Daniel left Jerusalem saying, "Wow, they chose me to be a slave. This is great." Do, do you think that Joseph said, "I am so thankful my brothers threw me in the well and sold me into slavery, and now I'm in prison being accused of rape which I didn't do. This is amazing." I was even thinking about Noah. Don't you think Noah reached a point where he said, "I went off the stupid boat." Job had a struggle. Nehemiah served the a secular king. Some of you are in a very secular job. That may be right where God wants you. You have access to people that normally wouldn't be around other Christians, and you have the opportunity to be a Daniel in a very secular place. Right here in Daniel's time place, there is nothing more secular than Babylon. But God put four young boys right in front of the most secular Babylonian king, and there was four strong Jewish men in front of him that could influence him for God. And you know what happens, and I don't want to give away the ending here, in a few short chapters, guess what? Nebuchadnezzar gets saved. We will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven because of people like Daniel being a light and a witness to him. That's an amazing thing. So so often we sit there and we say things like, I gotta get out of this place. Why? Oh, it's horrible. I'm the only believer here, and it's just such a it's just a, such a horrible place, the words and the language and everything. Hey, maybe the Lord is asking you to move. Maybe the Lord's also telling you to stay. There's no escaped attempts by Daniel that we know of. He realized that's where God called him. Maybe it's not a job. Maybe it's a loveless marriage. Maybe it's disrespectful kids. Maybe it's parents that don't care. I don't know. You may be placed in that position where God says, I got you right where I want you for a deeper purpose, even though you do not see it. If we end at chapter 1. And we stop and we look at this. Daniel is going to spend the next umpteen decades of his life serving secular kings, but being a light and a witness to him. He's an amazing guy. Look at these passages here that we put. Look at these last things. We just have a quick thought on the back of your sheets. God had purposely placed Daniel in this situation to be used by him for a greater purpose years down the road. You have to realize that. Look at these two verses. First one's the one we know a lot, Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you plans to give you hope in a future. If you are struggling right now in life saying, why am I here? Is this where God wants me? What does he want me to do? Take Jeremiah 29 11, stick it on your refrigerator, read it every day and realize God has a plan for you, even though you may not see it. And look at the next one here. I thought of Esther, Esther chapter four. This is Esther's uncle speaking to her saying, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He saw the big picture and he's telling Esther, God Put you there for a reason. God put Daniel here for a reason. Never forget this was not easy for him. Never forget that it was not easy for him. He was stripped once again of his language, of his heritage, of his family. They tried to strip him of his religion, possibly stripped him of his sexuality. They stripped him of everything they could. And Daniel still said in verse 8, I will purpose in my heart that I will not defile God. That's a huge statement. And God honored Daniel, and there's some amazing, amazing things that happened in Daniel's life here over these next 12 chapters because he decided as a teenage boy God comes first, and they're not going to let anything get in the way of that. That's a powerful statement to make. So I hope you're blessed by this study in the book of Daniel here. Great guy, great examples here. We're going to have a mix of prophecy, a mix of narrative. It's going to be a wonderful book, and you'll definitely be blessed by it. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here about Daniel? Rose, yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. We're actually living in Babylon right now, which is a very good way to put it. Where you work, where you live, you're, you're a Daniel in Babylon right now. And that's a real good way. Don't, don't let the world spot you up. David. Yeah, the Bible refers to Babylon as two things, as number one being an example of just the world system of greed and lust and decadence, but there's actual an actual city of Babylon that will be rebuilt too. So it's an actual physical location, but it's also a world system. Mm-hmm. Right. It's actually talking about possibly two different things. If you look in Revelation, there's two different Babylons mentioned. There's a religious Babylon, and then there's an economic Babylon. The religious Babylon seems to be the world system that is set up by the Antichrist as this godless religion that worships the Antichrist. But a lot of people believe in Revelation that there may actually be a literal physical Babylon that is rebuilt. I actually have an article on my uh, bulletin board back in my office that I've shared with you guys a couple times before where they talk about the plan to rebuild literal Babylon and to make it a tourist attraction with hotels, etc. So there is, I mean, that was one of the things that Saddam Hussein wanted to do. He wanted to rebuild an actual city of Babylon. It would not surprise me in any way whatsoever if one of the prophecies that is going to be fulfilled in some time is the idea of an actual city of Babylon coming back on the map. So, Brian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I want to go with you on that one, that Daniel's like Forrest Gump. I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. Um, Yes, in essence what you're saying, the plot line, yes, but... I think Daniel's a little better than Forrest Gump. Let's just give him a little bit more credit than that, I would hope. Oh, I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to go there. Oh, boy. Okay. Anybody have anything biblical they want to ask or say? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, just good to be here tonight. And uh, what a study this is. Lord, do help us to be like Daniel's, taking a stand where you want us to stand, being strong in you, a purpose in our heart that we would not be defiled by this world. Lord, give us strength to do that, to say no to what we need to say no to, to say yes to what we need to say yes to. Lord, help us to be like Daniel in your strength. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Don't forget we need to split the chairs here for the wedding tonight. And uh, you guys have a good week and God bless.